from the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of a beautiful but foggy lake here on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Today is January 8th, 2016, and welcome to the first ever Adventure Rider Radio Raw. It's a roundtable discussion about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and possibly offensive. We do have Graham Field here. Today, (laughs) at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, we have six of us today. Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks, Grant Johnson, and myself, Jim Martin. And what I'll do first is I'm going to go around to everybody, and if you can just say where you are and maybe what time zone you're in, that sort of thing. Sam? Hey, good evening, everybody. Um, yeah, you can tell it's evening because I've just said that. It's um, it's eight minutes past nine in the UK at the moment, and it's a lovely, clear, starry night out there. And Graham? Hi, um, I'm in Bulgaria. It is just after 11 o'clock at night, and uh, that means that if you are in mountain time in the US and you want to have a beer at 8 o'clock in the morning and say it's 5 o'clock somewhere, it's 5 o'clock here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how relevant that is, but anyway, Shirley and Brian. Good morning from uh, January 9 in Melbourne, Australia, where it's uh, 8 minutes past 8 a.m., and it's going to be 35 today Today, when the sun comes up. Yeah, and um, we got up a little early because Shirley had the wrong time zone. But yeah. uh, that's okay. I've had two copies, so I'm not grumpy anymore. That's Brian, okay. we were well aware of that. And I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did. Grant? <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm here in sunny. Well, actually, it's not sunny at the moment. Abbotsford is probably cloudy as usual. And we've had some lovely weather. And Abbotsford, that's British Columbia, Canada, of course. And yes. and and Grant, cloudy there. I mean, that's the that's the sunny, really, of Abbotsford, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's uh, Abbotsford is known for being colder than Vancouver and hotter than Vancouver. At the moment, it's foggy, cloudy, ugly. Generally, not very nice, but we try. Occasionally, we get good weather here. So on, on today's roundtable discussion, we, we I, I sent out for suggestions and Graham Field came up with this one. So I'm going to have you explain it, Graham, because what you wrote was best left behind in your working world. It's hard to do, but less traveling means more experiences. Uh, yeah, well, all I was saying, a lot of people, um, I think when they when they are planning their trip uh, with research, start realizing how much there is to see and probably stretch themselves uh, or their itinerary a bit further than it should be. And you might initially get on the road. In in our case, when when I leave the UK, we cross the channel, which is like a significant moment. Now you're independent because you can cross continents without, without ferries or anything else. And all of a sudden you find you're racing to try and get to these places and meet these schedules. And I agree to that, you know, well, Western Europe, for example, for me is very expensive, so I try and get to Eastern Europe as quick as I can. But getting to the point in your trip where you slow the pace and enjoy what's around and take up the opportunities when they occur, rather than just being blinkered and tunnel vision to the next point in this sort of highly scheduled uh, itinerary that you have, I just think if you can leave those deadlines behind and if you can just... If you don't get to see 
everything on on your uh, on your itinerary, it's probably better to to do less distance and see more than it is to just come back with a list that's all been checked off. But in actual fact, it's been as busy, if not busier, than the time at work that you did to, to afford this holiday in the first place. I, I, so what you're saying is, you know, you're, you're saying you're making out your itinerary and then really not following it. I think there's a lot to be said to throwing the itinerary out the window when you get on the road and just try and get into road mode, which is a much easier said than done. Sometimes it can happen in days. More often it takes weeks, sometimes even months. But getting into road mode and just getting into that relaxed, if you only do 30 miles in a day because you see a beautiful lake with a lovely campground and that's a good place to stop, that can be a wonderful thing as, uh, and, and sometimes far more rewarding than doing a 300-mile day to get to the next hotel, to see the next site and so on. Anyone just jump in here anytime. Uh, Sam, what's your thoughts on this? Well, funny enough, I'd, I'd kind of read the topic in a slightly different way. Um, I was thinking about, um, in part, um, what Graham's just been saying about the come down time from, from Western working life. I mean, for me, um, you know, most of my trips tend to be um, six weeks plus, And funny enough, that six weeks tends to be um, the come down time for me. It takes me about that amount of time before I start thinking about having to meet deadlines and schedules. But the different way that I'd started looking at this was um, the number of people that hit the road and intend to do quite a lot of work while they're traveling. And it concerns me that so many people are doing that because it um, it starts getting in the way of all the possibilities that the road offers you. Having said that, um, in one way, it's actually quite wonderful that we can all go traveling and actually make a living while we're traveling if we so choose. But um, it also does bother me that if we're following, um, you know, these deadlines and schedules which allow us to work, um, then we're we're missing the, the the escape and and the freedom and and the opportunity to take advantage of all of those new challenges and so on. Um, and I I just crave the flexibility that dumping schedules and and deadlines uh, allows me to take advantage of. Well, do you know all of those side turnings, the, 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 the interesting roads that turn up that you're not expecting to go down. You've got no plans, you've got no knowledge for, but it's there. And it looks interesting. And you've got all the freedom in the world just to be able to go, let's go take a look. And I, I love that. But I can't do it without dumping um, those deadlines and schedules. And, you know, the only deadlines and schedules that I'm really interested in are the length of my visa and the application time it takes to get it. Um, finding somewhere cheap to stay before um, it starts getting dark. Um, and, you know, I was talking earlier about write, you know, working while I'm traveling. I only ever write articles when I find myself in a place where I want to stay for some period of time, not because I'm forced to or anything else like that, because it just feels like the right place to stay. And to me, that is one of the ways of defeating um, these deadlines and schedules. Does that make sense? I think there's a there's a, a a lot to do with social media nowadays. If you think about it, um, social media it, it drives a lot of people, and and because of it, I think a lot of people are making their trips about their social media. But surely, I know you guys are. Uh, maybe it's you in particular that's the planner in your group. Yeah, I'm the planner, and I like to have um, 
an idea of where we're headed and I certainly like to check out what things are around that we should see but we also go by the motto you can't see everything so sometimes some things that we really wanted to see just get dropped off the list because we've run out of time or we've found something more interesting Um, I've worked on both of our last trips when we were away for 16 months and then last year our six months across Russia I worked um, editing a magazine and um, being able to do that online has just been fantastic. In Australia, they didn't know where I was and they didn't care as long as the material came through and got to the designer and we could get everything done. So that's been that aspect of the planning and working to structures is something we've we've been able to work around and really all we did was make sure that every three months I had two or three days clear um, somewhere with a good Wi-Fi signal. And, but as far as planning the trip and uh, using that as a, a template for travelling, I couldn't agree more with Graham. Uh, when I uh, our first journey, uh, we got uh, we raced through um, uh, Western Europe and got to Turkey, and uh, all of a sudden it clicked. You slow down, you take time, you see the beautiful sights, um, you see a little fishing village down uh, the coast, and you just go there and have coffee and oh, this is nice, you might stay an extra day. So we do. And that's, that's I think when you really start appreciating it. That's when road mode kicks in, I think, when you're just sitting there having a coffee and there's no pressure anymore. That's when you really feel like you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Exactly. And then, and then you have the drama that you realise that if you don't actually leave Turkey soon, you will not get through Iran before the snow comes and the mountain <laughs> passes will be closed. So there does come a point where you how long to get where you need to go. <laughs> This this sort of uh, you know could be connected with the next thing that we want to talk about. So maybe we'll we'll drag it over as well. But our next thing that we were going to talk about was does intensive trip planning make you better prepared for a mundane adventure? Tongue in cheek there. Um, with uh, Google Earth and and Google Street View and tourism websites and forums and countless blogs, um, virtually every area has already been explored somehow, and there's there's information out there. So when planning our trip, um, we get more information now than we ever have been able to. Uh, in in, the, in history, and the question is: is does accessing that huge store of information remove um, part of the adventure? That thing we were dreaming about to begin with, the, the, the idea that we're heading out on an adventure, we can overplan, or what I would call overplan, by accessing all this information. But on the other hand, is not accessing that information sort of irresponsible? In other words, you know, you you head off, you hear of somebody who heads off into an area that had they done their research, um, they never should have been there, and they wouldn't have gone there. But on the other hand exploring new places is is part of the excitement of travel yeah if i can start this one i was just because when i what i should be doing right now is researching my next trip and i'm not because the thought of it is not so much daunting it's just boring i don't really like the research aspect of it and i very much enjoy the surprise element of uh, of not knowing what's coming Equally, there's a huge frustration of passing by some world-renowned place which you're unaware of because you were ignorant to it because you haven't done it. But for me, one of the greatest things now, or two of the greatest things, originally when I did my first trips, it was always the Horizons Unlimited website. But I much prefer the Horizons Unlimited Facebook because it is so up to date. And I'm not saying this because Grant's with us, but it's so up to date. (laughs) I think he is. um, (laughs) No, true. No, it's true. Because the problem 
one of my little gripes with Horizons Unlimited website is I find the search engine sometimes a little tricky. But with Facebook, it's absolutely instant, instant information. And for, for the lazy person who doesn't want to scroll and research, it's very useful because I can just tap on something and I get instant responses from people and it's up to date information. And for me, that's great. That means I don't have to have lists of, of research and stuff. I can find out what the situation is in Iran or whatever instantly. And I, I really like that aspect of it. I have to reply on that. <laughs> I, I was waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the search engine aspect, it is Google search engine, specif specifically custom designed for Horizons Unlimited. So you're using all of Google's search capabilities to completely index every single page on HU. So you're getting, you're getting the best results out there in theory. As far as the Facebook aspect is concerned, we, we like Facebook, too. There's lots of great information, and you do absolutely get instant responses. The catch with it that frustrates us no end is that those responses are gone tomorrow. Whereas if it's posted on HU or asked on HU and responded on the website on the hub, then the information is there for the next guy who comes along next week and next month and next year. The information is permanently there and available and findable. So while Facebook is great, it's a little frustrating too because that that archive of information is not there once it's once it's gone scroll down the page it's gone and that's very well, frustrating is it, for us is it gone though grant because at the top at the group there's a little search thing so if i remember a key word from a thread that i was interested in i can put that in and it will come back up so i don't have to scroll all the way down the hu facebook page i can actually search for a topic and it comes up Yep, you can if you remember the keyword. If you're a newbie just arriving on the website or on Facebook and this is your first adventure ever and you have no clue, it's really hard. Don't worry. I've done some oh, testing yeah. to find out if you can find it. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you can't find it. And the problem is there. You don't know what you're looking for when you're starting because you haven't got a clue. So it's, it's no. I, I find for us, we look at Facebook as being wonderful entertainment. Yes, you can get a quick answer, but not always. And Facebook is entertainment. The website is information. If you really want to know okay. something, you go to the website. That's the way we look at it. And it's, we've had a lot of other people say exactly the same thing. This whole subject has been discussed more than once um, <laughs> at length in places. And yeah, the general consensus is Facebook's great, but it's really entertainment. And if long-term information and the, the archiving is the biggest issue. It just it doesn't stay. That's a good point. I suppose I was forgetting the early days when I did want to look up everything and visa information and that. And I guess I'm looking now from the luxury of having a bit more experience and just wanting some instant information. So, yeah, you're right. It is for the people who do need, for the majority of people who want to go back and find all that archive stuff, it's much easier. I was thinking of the more instant gratification oh, generation. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. For instant gratification, just most people have Facebook live on their cell phones right now and they can just tap something in really quick and a few minutes later somebody like graham will give an answer and that's wonderful whereas going to the hub you got to log in and all the rest of it it's a bit more work but again you've got that maybe you get an answer maybe you don't and um, the archiving of that information for us those of us who've done big trips and are answering questions that newbies have to have that then archived permanently for the next newbie that comes along looking for the same thing is an amazing facility that facebook just doesn't do 
I'm not a big, um, or I'm not an advanced Facebook user, but um, does anyone remember MySpace? <laughs> because that's what happens when you store all your information in a place like that. Yeah. Just to jump in on planning there, if I can, um, it depends where you're going a lot. I think um, on our last trip, we had to plan for our visas for Russia and the stands. And uh, on our first trip, we used uh, Horizons Unlimited webpage. Sure would find me uh, sitting there on a Sunday morning for hours going through um, <laughs> Horizons Unlimited. Now, when I get to our second and third trips, it's, oh, well, let's just go. And, yes. um, oh, God, we need visas. Oh, God, we better get the visas for here. And how long are we going to do this? And the, the Russian and the stands aspect of it, you, you, you really are restricted by the bureaucracy. Um, but and you, you, and you have to plan a little there. But I'm a bit with Graham uh, about uh, just uh, 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 taking it easy and uh, um, taking it as, it as it comes. But you need to do your research to find the things that you want to see. That's where Cheryl is really good at. She loves the, um, the tourist aspect of it. And um, we discover all the, the great things that the world has to offer. Because if it was left up to Brian, we would ride and ride and we'd go over great roads and Great roads, what's wrong with that? Sounds good so far. We would pass by those those little interesting places like perhaps the Taj in India because the road was nice to get out of We're going to have a domestic year. Yeah, we're the same way. (laughs) Yeah, I hate research as well. It just drives me absolutely insane. Um, I hate even researching for a trip of our own on HU. I know the website backwards and forwards, but... I don't want to do the research. I just don't. I just want to get on the bike and ride. Uh, When we did our first trip, we first headed out, uh, there was virtually no information. There was nothing available on border crossings. I mean, border crossings in 1987 in Central America, there was nothing. So we just completely winged it all the way and figured it out as we went and discovered that, yeah, you can. Generally, you can just show up at a border and one way or another, they're, you're there, they'll deal with it, they'll figure it out, and occasionally, unfortunately, for places like Russia, you need a visa in advance. And if you show up at the border and you don't have a visa, they're going to turn you around and then you're going to have to figure it out. But if you're on a long trip, yeah, okay, so you have to do that. Things go wrong. But you can, and I know people still are, doing big trips with no research. They just get on a bike and go in some direction or other, and they figure it out as they go. Things go wrong, things go right, it's okay. Part and of if, the they've got, if they've got the time to sit at a, a border or backtrack two or three hundred kilometres to the nearest capital city where there might be a consulate that they could apply for a visa, that's um, that's well and good. But when you're going to areas like the stands and Russia, we really needed to to plan because of you know getting your visa 45 days before you arrive and then it only lasts for 30 days and you can only apply in certain countries. It makes it a, a logistical nightmare, and that section of our trip had to be planned within an inch of its life. Yet yep. when we were in Central America, we did just it's rock cruise. up at the borders yeah. other than Brazil and Paraguay where Australians are not permitted to cross at the border without a visa. Yeah, there's always issues. Um, to, I, I completely agree with you, and for the stands in Russia, we all know yeah, you got to plan well in advance. <clears throat> all I'm saying is that you can do a big trip without planning, And if somebody without any planning arrived at a Russian border and discovered they had to wait 45 days, they might say, well, you know, maybe I'll go south instead and do something else. (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> unless you're married to the plan, um, you can be extremely flexible and just go where the wind blows and see how it goes. And, and that can be a great fun thing. I heard about a guy who decided that what he was going to do was turn left at every fourth turn. Period. That was his ride. That was what he's going to do. And he had a great ride. It was fantastic. Wait a second. If you, if you just do a bunch of laps, that sounds like a bit of a circle to me. Not necessarily. It does change. Things go wrong. So there's lots of, there's lots of ways to do it. I, I totally agree that you should do some planning. And, and, you, and realistically, if you're doing a big trip, you really do need to do some planning. I just, I just hate it. <laughs> yeah, but Grant, that's, that just brings me to my question for you, is that you say you hate it, but is that because of like laziness, you just don't want to do it, you're not into it, or is that because you don't want to access the information? Because that's that's really the point of what we were, we were talking about is, is you know, should you be accessing this information? Is, is it sort of your duty to do it? To a certain extent, I think you need to. Um, if you're going to someplace that could be considered remotely dodgy, um, yes, okay, do some research and figure out what the political situation is, and you should understand what the risks and rewards of going to that location are. But there's a lot of places that you can just go. It's, you know, unless you've heard that there's been issues of some kind, just go. And once you hit the road, you'll very quickly discover that you'll meet people coming in the other direction, and they've been where you're going, and you just ask them, what's it like? And they'll tell you. And you can do the same for them. So meeting travelers on the road today is a whole lot easier and more common than it used to be. When we traveled, it wasn't until we hit, uh, we'd done all of North America, Central America, Europe, and Africa. before, And then we were into South America before we hit our first other traveler at all, mm. which is absolutely mind-blowing today. That just couldn't happen. So it, it's changed and the information is out there. Sam, I, I know you're a planner. <laughs> then where did you get that idea from? Well, from from everything. Just it's dealing with you, you can tell. You can't hide that. You're a planner. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a very wry smile on my face as I'm listening to this because um, uh, my big trip, um, I did, well, I had three months. Um, and in that three months, I had to learn to ride a bike. I had to um, hand in my notice. I had to train somebody to take over from me. Um, and I had to learn about everything. I didn't have a clue about what carnets were or anything else like that at all. And then I'd literally been riding a bike and planning for three months the day I got to the edge of the Sahara Desert. And um, yeah, okay, the, the research, what had I done? I'd, I'd found out about visas and which countries I needed visas for and which of those countries I could get visas in um, the capital cities of, you know, the country that I was in for the country that I was going to next, if you're with me, and which countries I had to get visas in the UK for. Um, I knew how long those visas lasted and I knew which visas started the day they were issued and which visas started the day that I went into the country. Um, I'd found out about what the weather patterns were going to be because a continent like Africa, you really don't want to be in Central Africa when the big rains hit, um, especially if you're going to be doing as much off-roading as I was planning to do. So I'd learned about those sorts of things. But other than that, I was too busy to learn. It was really just a case of, of get on and do. But I had backed up my 
my ignorance by making sure that I had a really good travel insurance policy with repatriation attached to it. And I thought long and hard before I set off, is what I'm doing really irresponsible? Am I going to put somebody else's life at risk if I do something stupid in a really dodgy part of the world? Um, but because I've traveled with a backpack and various other ways, then I know that the chance of something going wrong big time with you being in the wrong place at the wrong time, that's actually fairly small. So, so long as you're using common sense and you're flexible, then the things that you don't know don't tend to be so much of a problem. But at the same time, um, I do like to know a little bit about the places that I'm going to. I like to know things like in Vietnam, you don't touch somebody on, a shoulder, on the shoulder because that's the biggest insult that you could give somebody. So it's, it's things like that that I'm, I'm curious about. And so that side of the planning, I really enjoy. And yeah, I mean, like Shirley said, going past the Taj Mahal, just a few miles away and not going to see it because you didn't know it was there. Well, I mean... That would be daft because I, I just think this world of ours is absolutely magnificent. And if you don't know what's out there, you, you miss out. But I think the key is to do your research um, to the level that you personally feel comfortable with. Because this is something that I'm really enjoying about this conversation is that we're all coming out with, with different aspects, which are all about us as individuals and our own ways of wanting to travel. Um, and I do like to do a little bit of research, not a huge amount, because that amount of research allows me to be out on the road and then to make it up as I go. I'm not missing opportunities because I haven't got a clue that they're there. I'm missing an opportunity because something more interesting has just popped up. But, but how much me, is enough, Sam? Like, like, how do you know that you've done enough? How do you know you got to the point where, okay, that's good? Or, or how would you advise somebody else? I think when you feel comfortable with what you know, um, I mean, let's let's take um, a country. You know that the visa lasts for that country for three months and you've got enough money to be in that country for three months. You know you've got enough money to be in that country because you've been on the Horizons Unlimited website and you have a clue as to how much it's going to cost you. You know that you can travel cheaply because you don't want to stay in five-star hotels and so on and so on. So you have an idea about how long you can be there. So what are you going to do for that three months? Are you going to find one place and just stay there? Or are you going to do a, a bit of a zigzag and go to various or head in the direction of various points that interest you? Um, so how many various points of interest are you likely to be able to go and see? We'll find out about that number of things. If it's 10 in three months, then find out about 10 possible places. But the point for me is don't then travel on mental railway lines because that's hugely restricting. Um, you've, you've done that bit of planning. You have that little bit of knowledge. You've got the opportunity because that knowledge has given you the opportunity, but you don't have to stay with it because, as Brian said, you know, you can find that beach which you just look at and you think, this is awesome. And as Graham says, there's that cafe sitting on the edge of it. And you just think, actually, I want to sit here for two days because this is just an awesome thing to do. So the planning that you do gives you the freedom to take advantage and to make it up as you go along. Does that make sense? Totally. We agree completely. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Sorry, I took rather a lot then, didn't I? <laughs> Spot on, Sam. It, um, it doesn't matter. There's always a hole in your research somewhere. I smile every time I think of Ewan and Charlie at their first border crossing into Russia, and they didn't have their original registration papers, which they had to send back to <laughs> England to get. Well, you know, they should have, they should have read Horizons Unlimited. And, and they had a crew working for them. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what, planning will go wrong. What was it some general said? The No plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this is hitting the road is things, no matter how carefully you plan, and we see this all the time. People have a wonderful plan laid out. I remember one website, they had six-month trip through Russia and the stands and Southeast Asia marked out completely to the day they would be in each city. If you can imagine <laughs> planning to that level. And of course, within about a week, the plan was thrown out the window. And that always happens. Yeah. You know, it's just going to change. Things will change. I, I remember our shortest day ever was 10 kilometers. We got on a bike in one morning in New Zealand, rode 10 kilometers around a corner, and there's a big sign saying, helicopter rides to the glacier. Oh, cool. And there's a campsite across the street. We'll do that. 10 kilometers. <laughs> we had planned on riding 150 that day. Well, things change. Perfect. Always got to be willing to take opportunities. Serendipity is a wonderful thing. But I was yeah, going to mention back to what Graham was saying originally um, about um, that, that spontaneity thing or, or the flexibility. Because I remember, Graham, you remember you and I talking about your um, in your book, your section there where you went off and you met, uh, you know, I guess, the president of the of the town that you were in and whatnot. It, it, that's sort of what you're referring to, isn't it, when you're talking about um, the, the sort of a, a loose plan? Yeah, I think sometimes the best days on the road are when you actually don't get on the road. It's when you actually do something that's available in that place where you are. And yeah, that was a, a crazy time that was, but obviously alcohol was involved, but it was, wasn't just that. It was, it was locals and it was, and it was just being available to the opportunities that present themselves. And it was so memorable. And I won't go over it because you read it in the book. We talked about it before in the, in the one of the shows we did, but what a spectacular moment, just because I had the time to be able to, to, to take the opportunities that were presented and be led astray by drunken Mexicans, leaving my possessions all over the town whilst I drank with strange people in 70s sunglasses in weird bars, alcohol in huge vats from rare tequila and cactus juice. But yeah, very memorable. Memorable because um, I didn't drink that much. I can see that written in a brochure at a travel agent that it'd be a big <laughs> seller. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys know Ian Coates, and 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 sure. you probably heard the episode. You know the the plan of no plan. I mean, uh, you know, there's a guy who goes and just wings it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and you can do that, it, it, and it works for a lot of people. You just have to have two things: one, you have to be extremely flexible, and two, you have to have lots of time. If you've got both, go for it. It's a great I think way to go. He had 14 years. I think that was quite a lot of time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that was probably enough. <laughs> you know, how many people that are going to be listening to this have have got um, all of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle in place that allow them to head off and hit the road for a long time? And as we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking we're all actually talking about hitting the road for a long time and the freedom that we've got to spend the extra days and to take advantage of the opportunities as they turn up. But what about the people who are heading out on shorter trips? Let's say they've got three weeks or maybe they're even lucky enough to get a month. How much planning should people like that do to take advantage of the time that they have? That's a tricky one because we, we see that a lot, the, especially here in North America. The average vacation is like two weeks. That's all you've got. Mm -hmm. uh, so the average North American spends a lot of time planning. They plan everything to perfection. Where they go wrong is they put in too many miles every day. So they spend mm -hmm. all their time riding. They get somewhere. They're, they're too tired. It's closed because it's past closing time, et cetera. And they just don't get to see that much. And they're just focusing on 
distance. How far can I go in my two-week vacation? They're definitely into a different travel mode than somebody who's got months or, or even six weeks. Uh, there's a different kind of thinking. And, and the real problem that we see a lot is that those people have done that two-week vacation, highly compressed travel vacation for years, and then all of a sudden they've got two months or three months or something. And they plan those the same way, and they have a lot of trouble. It's very difficult. I think the, the most important thing is to how much time have I got, how much mileage would I like to do, let's cut the mileage in half mm -hmm. and then go from there, and they'll do a lot better. It's always – the number one thing we hear from travelers is as soon as I slowed down, it got better, and I was more relaxed and had a lot more fun. The trip got better as soon as I slowed down and did less mileage. Can, can you know, one of the nice – Sorry, go on, Shelley. I'm just um, when we have uh, people we've met overseas say they're going to come to Australia and they don't do any research and they tell us they'd like to do a bit of the outback, um, see the Great Barrier Reef, go to Ayers Rock, do the Great Ocean Road, and they've got a month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. so they understand a the distance because they haven't done their research. They don't understand that the majority of the outback in Australia you'd think twice about doing on a motorbike unless you had some kind of support with you because it is so remote and um, the roads are not you know in places in places pretty pretty bad roads. So I think a lot of the time, if you've got a shorter period of time. You need to do more research so you are aware of what's out there and then you pick the eyes out of it, where's the best places that we've actually got time to do and then maybe do a second trip to that same area to see the other places in another time. That's a really yeah, good point. But what's, pick the eyes out of it. That must be an Australian thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it probably is. <laughs> No, Shirley, I agree with you totally. I think that that's absolutely right. I think if you've got a shorter period of time, then you've got to do more planning. But what Grant said, that also makes an awful lot of sense to me. I think um, double the budget you think you're going to need and half the number of miles that you're thinking you could, you want to do. Um, and between those two things, you can actually end up with a, a pretty darn good trip. It's easy to and fall into, though, isn't it? Because, you know, when we're, we're talking about doing a trip, you, or, or you're t lamenting a trip, you tell somebody that you went off on a trip and you spent uh, four weeks and, and you only got uh, 400 kilometers and um, you only saw a couple of places, people go, eh, you know, that's not really impressive. So we're sort of driven to that. When, we, when, when I hear people talk about heading on vacation, it's, like, it's almost like they're compelled to do something sort of significant for that. I think, though, Jim, it is impressive because in those 400 kilometres, you would have way more experiences and stories to tell and memories to keep than you would if you'd have done, I don't know, 2,000 kilometres. And the only things you've got are helmet thoughts because all you ever did was keep your helmet on and ride. So it may lack credibility on the face of it, but it'll actually be far more rewarding for the person who did it. I think yeah, there was something on Horizons just recently about someone who said all they were doing was riding and what were they doing wrong. Yes, so, exactly. Clearly. We had a really good example of that a, a few years ago now, but it's, it's so classic, it just always pops into my head. The guy left the UK heading south through Africa and got down, I don't know, three or four countries down and wrote on the hub that he was really having trouble and couldn't understand how all of us long distance travelers had been able to go for so long. He said, he, I'm, I'm bored out of my mind. I want to go home. I'm homesick. I hate it. I'm not having any fun. 
well, wait a minute, you're in the middle of Africa and you're not having any fun? What's going on here? So it turned out that in the end, he had been riding every single day, three to 500 kilometers a day, every day for like three months. Oh, wow. He hadn't had a vacation. So we told him, take a day off, find the nearest beach, enjoy yourself, have a drink, relax, spend a few days, take a vacation from the vacation. You need that. You've got, you have to think of traveling as, as a job. You, you ride five days a week and you take two days off and that's a minimum. And he wrote back a couple of weeks later and said, you're absolutely right. You're spot on. I took a, a week off. It was wonderful. I'm really enjoying it again and I'm back on the road, but not as much. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind. You can't ride every day. No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I, I've met a guy who um, was also riding in Africa, and uh, when I when I met up with him after his trip, I said to him, "So how was it?" You know, I was really waiting for all the exciting stories, and he said, "Actually, I was a bit bored." And I said, "How were you bored?" And he said, "Well, I was riding every day," and I was saying, "Well, yeah, but where did you go?" And it turned out that he stuck on the main roads and followed what his GPS was telling him to do. <laughs> um, and he was just burning all day, every day, not stopping to talk to anybody, not sitting in the little local cafes and um, drinking coffee with, uh, with the local crusty old codgers and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So all of the fun was just, it was just gone. Do you know, one of my favorite sayings is a tourist went, sees what he went to see, a traveler sees what he sees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Sam, I'd have to say that guy was probably on time, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He had an open travel diary. He just didn't know. Um, he, he just hadn't clicked onto what works. Yeah. But we're all different, aren't we? Someone mentioned earlier, I think it might have been you, Graham, about having um, double the budget that you think you're going to need. That was and Sam, I, yeah. Never hurts. So I, um, I think that's a really good idea. We actually um, hosted some people here who travelled overland. We met them when we were in Iran. And when they arrived here, they'd been through Sumatra, but they didn't go and see the orangutans because they didn't have enough money. Yeah, and I, and I know somebody, I, uh, sorry, I was going to say, I know somebody who went all the way to Nordcap from in northern Europe, and they got there and discovered what the entry fee was and turned around and went back. <laughs> How could you not pay the 30 euros or whatever it is and get to Nordcap after riding all the way there? It just blew my mind. I, it's just, really? But, but having done that ride, it's not really pleasant. So, you know, they could have charged anything and we were going to get out there and see that bloody monument at the end. Of that <laughs> That's yeah. because you wanted to get off the bike, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we were in uh, Tanzania and discovered that we could have gone on a balloon ride across the Serengeti at dawn. I mean, wow, how fantastic could that be? And it was like $400. And okay, each, okay, oh, wow. we'll do it. Turned out we couldn't because it was booked out for three months in advance. So there's where research would have come in handy. <laughs> you take these opportunities and uh, we were in Ushuaia, Argentina and suddenly discovered, oh, we can take a boat to Antarctica. It's how much? Five grand for two of us. That's half price? Okay, well, that's what credit cards are for. We're broke and we're onto the credit cards, but okay, we're going. There's no question about it. We never hesitated a second. You've got to take these opportunities. Sorry. And that's why I had I a souvenir because you're only there once. Yeah, absolutely. That's what doubling the I budget. I think there are times when it's good to take out the credit card and just say, "I will." Pr even though you think, "Oh, I'll do it next time," I think you have to say, I'll, pr "I'll probably never be here again. I need to take advantage of this while I'm here." But equally, 
related to hot air balloon rides in Cappadocia in Turkey. I was unaware that you could do it and was woken up in my tent by all these hot air balloons coming past. So, oh, <laughs> man, that would have been great for some rides. But firstly, it was 250 euros, which wasn't really in my budget, even if I'd have known about it. And secondly, from the ground, I got some killer shots of all these hot air balloons, which they probably didn't have. So, okay, <laughs> I didn't see all the, all the huge edifices, all these, all these huge rocks sticking out, these hoodoos at sunrise. But I did get to see the balloonists from the ground. <laughs> yep. Well, that's what next morning is for. That's when you take the balloon ride. <laughs> <laughs> But they saw you in your tent in your wife fronts taking photos of them. Well, I think they you got the better view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I got a story to tell about that. I was sunbathing nude on a flat roof, and um, all of a sudden a, a, a fleece of balloon, hot air balloons, came over the roof. Yeah, well, who was the entertainment in the target of photographs this time? <laughs> <laughs> of you running around scrambling to get your clothes. <laughs> trying to get rid of your tan lines, Sam? What was that all about? <laughs> That's what I was trying to do. <laughs> yeah, let, let's talk about that. Why would you be why would you be suntanning, Sam? Let's, let's hear more about this. Well, it was just a really nice thing to do. I was living in the middle of a city, and uh, one day I found my way up onto the roof. We weren't supposed to go up there, and there was this perfect platform, and it wasn't overlooked by anybody, so I thought. And so I thought, stuff it. I can be really bad in the middle of a city. So I took all my clothes off and I lay down and I was sunbathing. And the yep. next thing I know is... <laughs> and yeah, um, about half a dozen of them straight over the top of me, about 20, 20 meters above me. Mm. Now you do realize those photographs are probably on the internet somewhere circulating. God knows what they've done with them. Damn, I shouldn't have said anything. I was anonymous all this time. So if anyone's listening and you have spotted that photograph, you got to send us an email and, and, and send us the photograph. <laughs> Having shared a room with Sam just last month, I've got a visual in my head I just want to get rid of. <laughs> Graham, you better explain why we're sharing a room quick. <laughs> no, no, hey, you know, you guys don't have to bring that up here. <laughs> Well, I did leave a gap there, so we're just <laughs> we're just going to move on then. So I, I was going to throw to the mix social media because I sort of mentioned that earlier. Um, what, what effect social media has on your trip? Because it's a huge thing now. Everybody, everybody's posting all the time. Look what I'm doing here. Look what I'm doing today. Um, how do you guys feel about the way social media drives people to explore? Does it drive yeah. them to explore? No, the, the, I'm not sure it does. Well, let, let's just say that when someone goes on a trip now, one of the, for a lot of people, not everybody, I know there's a lot of people out there who just travel, you know, incognito, I guess you could say nowadays, but there's a lot of people who, who travel out there and they have to do their, their Twitter and their, and their Facebook and, and everything else. And I'm wondering what effect that would have on your sort of your day-to-day -day travel. I mean, you almost feel compelled to, um, to be posting things. Yeah, and I think it's that's sad. It's a fine line, isn't it? It's, uh, I think um, there are a lot of people who seem to do the trip more for their likes than they do for themselves. And it, you can see how, you know, friends and family and everything want to say, oh, that sounds great. And that, I follow a few people. There's one particular guy called Trevor Angel. He's been on the road for about three years now. And he's currently um, on a Greek island helping Syrian refugees who are coming to shore 
um, and taking a month out and, and doing this sort of charitable thing. And always, and the reason I follow him is because his Facebook, he, if he does have a blog, I'm unaware of it. I think he only does Facebook posts. And they're just the right length. They're not really long that you've got to click see more. They're just enough. They're informative. It's not, oh, look what I'm doing now. He doesn't post a picture of every meal he eats. And it's just <laughs> a little bit of information about where he is and what he's doing. It's it's inspiring in a in a... I don't mean to diss my friends on Facebook, but in a in a plethora of dross and crap that you read, there is something that shines. And and he is one of the inspirational Facebookers who really writes something in a dull morning that really makes you think, ah, this guy has has just enlightened my day. And if you if you've got the ability, and it's not about the words you use or your creativity, but if you bother to write something worth reading then great. But if you're just going to photograph your dinner, <laughs> then we've got enough dinner. Show us your puppy. <laughs> I'm just going to pull up Graham's latest posts on Facebook. Just hang on and read them to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been mourning the death of Lemmy in my defense. <laughs> and looking at the sunsets. Anyone else? Thoughts on social media? We use... Um, social media on our last two trips a lot but when we went away on in 2003 um, we just had um, our web page and if we got too tied up enjoying ourselves and I didn't update it we would start to get concerned messages from people at home saying are you okay because in those days there wasn't that constant contact with home and they would worry whereas no one was concerned about us at all on our last two trips because they knew every couple of days they would see something as to where we were um, and how we were traveling but you can um, you can get a little bit over enthusiastic with these things I don't know if you guys are aware of Bill Bryson the um, the travel writer yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was in Australia talking about one of his books and he said that he knew he was over-researching when he found in his notes, sat in cafe and wrote notes on today. <laughs> yeah. How sad is that? <laughs> you know, we see a lot of people doing blogs and there's there's bloggers out there on big trips and I'm sure they spend three and four hours every evening doing their blog. And, and that what... Who's who's the audience? You know, there's lots of people out there that they're clearly writing for an audience, and I'm not quite sure why they care, but they do. And it's not their trip anymore. It's suddenly it's their audience's trip. And what can they do to entertain their audience and keep their likes going? And I don't just don't think that's a good good thing for the average traveler. You should be traveling and for yourself and to understand what's going on out there, what's going on in the world, and to, to meet and learn about other people and understand other cultures. Whereas writing for an audience, I don't know. Is, is that what travel is all about? And Maybe also, that is. Why this, I think why they're sitting in front of their laptops writing that, they're missing what's going on in the real world, which would actually give them some material to write about that would be interesting. Exactly. And I, 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 the number of people that I meet while I'm traveling who are getting frantic because they can't get an internet connection. And, you know, they'll, they'll go into a camping site and they won't stay there if they haven't got Wi-Fi. And you just think, but hang on a minute, this is a great camping site. Just look at it. It's completely off the wall. This is where you're going to have an experience. And this is what it's all about being out on the road. Um, with shorter trips, yeah, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'll tweet every now and then and that sort of stuff, but I'm not sweating about it. If something interesting pops up or something nuts, then I'll do it. But if I'm 
I'm not there for three or four days or a week, then that's fine by me. If I'm on a longer trip and I don't do anything for a month, that's also fine by me because as far as I'm concerned, I've immersed myself in the road and that's where I want to be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Grant, you you'd mentioned about people going on for you know a two week vacation. We we talked a little bit about that. That's that's another thing that's going to add to your stress, isn't it? You're going to go out for a two week vacation. You're going to cover all these spots, and then you're going to try and blog about it. And you're going to try and tweet about it, and and put photos on Facebook and etc. Yeah, where where's the time? There yeah. isn't. I I I think people just get too carried away with being in constant communication and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. It, it just drives me a little bit crazy. But, but it is a thing nowadays. I mean, that, that is, that is a, a real thing. You know, people are, are they're saying that there's some sort of new syndrome out now about, uh, I forget, it's something to do with cell phones. And people actually get um, sort of freaked out if they don't have their cell phone with them. It's like a big deal. We've got to stay in contact all the time. And yet, what was it, like 15 years ago? I mean, nobody had a cell phone. Yeah, now nobody had anything. I, mean, I always compare it back to when we started riding in 87, when we, we didn't connect for weeks, months was normal. And we were on the early connectors. We were actually on CompuServe in 87 and sending emails home on occasion. Uh, but occasionally would be as much as we could do it. I mean, we went a month without anything at all. And that was normal for us. I'd like to make I a actually, comment. It's a combination of what Graham just said and what Grant just said. Um, there are some people who blog really well. Yep. You know, they've got real writing talent and they've got real photographic talent. And those people's blogs are absolutely a joy um, to, to, to read and, and to look at. And they're really sharing something that's very, very special to an awful lot of people who can't get out and hit the road because of their responsibilities. And those blogs, I think they're fabulous. And I, we're, we've just been talking about how much effort those people are putting in and, and the things that they run the risk of missing out on because they're doing that. And I think if they're being done really well, then it's fabulous and I really enjoy reading them. But there are too many that... Um, don't even come close to those the level mm -hmm. that I'm talking about. But, but isn't it great to sit down and just uh, read a book about someone else's travels? Isn't that why we write books to mm -hmm. inform people about what we see and what we do and why we do it? Yeah, I think that's a great point. But but I, I remember talking to Shirley, and and Shirley, you said I asked you about a book, and you said, well, yeah, you know, you'll you'll sort of get to that. You had not been making notes. You weren't you weren't trying to you know fill in all your information for your book while you're on your trip. Oh, well, I actually do keep a diary. And that's enough to yeah. But is the diary just for books? Uh, no, no. It's also some sometimes it's a good way of me letting off steam without actually saying things out loud <laughs> wow brian do you ever read this stuff surely <laughs> oh, that is a really good point because my friends i've, I've kept diaries for 25 years and thought, well, who are you going to leave them to i'm not leaving them to everybody because every single person i know has had a slagging at some point <laughs> <laughs> Shirley, um, I, I do the same thing with my diaries, and so does Birgit. She writes hers in German because she knows I can't read German. <laughs> but don't you just scan for the word Sam? <laughs> That's not going to help, is it? <laughs> At least you'll know she's talking. <laughs> but diaries are great, you know. I, I really like writing a diary because there are all these things that I've seen during the day that I haven't really taken notice of. But when I sit down to write, I just yeah, God, there was that thing happening over on the side there, and you know those sorts of things. And and 
Well, we all know when we're traveling, you're an intake overload, aren't you? You're taking on board so much information. It's really, really easy to forget all of the good stuff. And I know for one, I wouldn't be able to write my books without my journals, without yeah. uh, impossible. I think diary keeping as well is about remembering little special moments within a day, uh, which you, which may have just brushed across. Uh, but because you bother to, you need to find something to write in your diary. There is an example. If I could just give an example, a couple of days ago, although there was snow on the ground, it was a warm day. So three of us were sitting outside, outside my neighbour's house, and we were drinking tea. And the guy with his back to the road and the mountains was talking to us about this new TV, this smart TV that was high definition and 3D and had all these effects. And what he's telling us about how realistic this TV is, I'm looking over his shoulder at a real life sunset that is in 3D and high definition and real life and you can actually touch and while he's telling us about how realistic this image is, I'm looking at a real image thinking, ah, you should turn around. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our, our last topic that we we're going to talk about and, and we we're going to talk about um, change forever through travel. And has travel changed your comfort zone, your view on life, your attitudes? And I mean, sorry, it's a loaded question, obviously. But um, and have you started out with a bias? And, th and this is particularly interesting, I think. Have you started out with a bias that radically changed as a result of your travels? You know, to um, you know how how, um, how rewarding beyond the obvious that travel can be. <laughs> All right. Now, hang on. You guys are going to have to calm down here and just go one at a time. <laughs> uh, ladies We're all first. Thinking. Okay, okay, ladies first. Ladies first. Um, traveling the way we travel has certainly changed me. Um, not that I was a totally four-star girl, but I certainly preferred four-star to two before we started doing the motorcycle travel. And that's opened up a whole new world to me on many levels, not just the world we see, but the world that I inhabit within myself. Um, I, I was probably never a biased person about race or religion before we left, but it's just reinforced to me that everyone is basically the same. They basically want good health and good education for their children and they want to be able to put a roof over their head and 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 have clean water and, and good food. Um there's always going to be bad people out there, but I think all in all, people are great. It's just the regimes in some of these places that we visit that are a bit dodgy. Um, and that's that's really changed me. And it, it, just knowing that and seeing people on those levels. And if, if people start carrying on to me about how they don't like this race or all these people are terrible, we just point that out to them. You know, it's it's a big world out there and basically we're all the same. Yeah, and if I can jump in there, I was in my previous occupation pretty cynical of most people because I saw the worst side of them all the time. But when you are travelling, you you seem to you soon realise that most people are good and most people want to help you. It doesn't matter whether they're black, white, or brindle or what they are, Muslim, Christian, doesn't matter. Um, they're all basically the same, and I agree with Shirley. I had no real bias um, before I, I went on uh, our first journey. Um, my com comfort zone, well, I can sleep on a bed of rocks. It doesn't worry me too much. Um, and my attitude, I think, has softened a lot towards um, people. And uh, when we see um, people on the streets of our, in our home city uh, with a map in their hand, I always go up and ask them, are you all right? Do you know where you're going? You know, you, you 
it opens you up to uh, that sort of thing more, I think, once you've been out there and travelled a bit. Too right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd go along with that too. Um, I think both of us were pretty much standard North Americans. We had certain ideas, I guess, about what things were. And, oh, Mexico, oh, you know, Mexico's going to be a little scary. But we weren't too fussed about it. And I think I could have to agree completely with Shirley, especially that people are pretty much the same everywhere. I think they all want to have a nice life. They want to have a nice good spouse and children and and a reasonable, comfortable life. And there really isn't a heck of a lot of difference everywhere for anybody. They're they're always willing to help you out, um, just like you would help somebody out that looked like they needed some help somewhere. And I think thinking that just because some, some places talked about in the news as being a terrible nation, yeah, that may be the politics. And it's always, I find that people think, you know, a country's bad because its leaders say something that maybe we don't like in our own country. But the people themselves are fine. And I think Iran is a really good example of that. You, know, you hear about bad things about Iran and how horrible it is. But every single traveler that's ever gone through there has always said they couldn't believe how hospitable and friendly and helpful the people were. Just absolutely one of the best countries they'd been to. And yet on the news, you hear terrible things. Well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this is one of the things that, that travel changed me dramatically with. It made me um, realize how unbalanced and biased the mainstream media is. Um, and the information that most people who live and work and home uh, in their home countries get is, I don't know, it's like looking through, uh, through, at the world through blinkers. And, 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 and how right is that? I think yeah. it's, it's also, I think when people travel, um, they realize um, how good we have it in our own countries, faults and all, because nowhere's perfect, is it? But For in comparison sure. to a lot of the places that you travel, when you look at home, you just think, wow, that all works so well, except for these one or two things, but you balance that against everything that works well. And you just think, wow, I'm just so lucky to be able to live in my Western country. For me, of course, it's the UK. Something else that changed for me was that, you know, um, I mean, you guys all are going to agree with me on this, I'm sure. I need far less to be happy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't need, you know, huge televisions and a massive house full of rooms that I never use and all of those sorts of things. Um, Travelling's taught me that. Um, it's also taught me to be much more keen to listen to the other side of the story, um, to listen to other people's thoughts and comments because I'm not right a lot of the time, and I'm only going to learn to be right by listening to other people. Why, why do you get that feeling that you need less? Is that because you've seen people getting by with less, or you learn to live with less when you're traveling? Well, it's a combination of both. Um, when you're traveling on a bike, um, well, everything you need, you need in life you can fit on the back of a motorcycle. I, I really believe that, and you can smile an awful lot with what you can fit on the back of a bike. Um, but then when you're traveling through shed loads of countries where people don't have very much, um, you think, well, actually, look how how many smiles these people have got on their face, and they don't have an awful lot. And I'm beginning to go through um, our flat at the moment, and I'm hiking out stuff that I haven't used for years. So why did I buy this stuff in the first place? I don't need it. Yeah, lots of people have said to me that they find the less the local people have, the more generous and the more helpful they are. Mm-hmm which is always an interesting... Now, why would that be interesting? 
Yeah. I think it's it's a if you have stuff and you want to keep it, you get a little more nervous about making sure you don't trust anybody that might take it from you. I don't know. There's something going on there that I'm not quite sure about. I just find it interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think the le- the less you have, um, the less you be worried about. You, you see that with, um, you know, somebody arrives with something, some sort of fancy vehicle with a bunch of things on it. Um, they tend to be very paranoid about leaving it, very paranoid about losing it, and it's it's almost like we become driven by our by our possessions. You know, the paranoid about our possessions. We worry about insurance. We worry about theft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fancier the bike, the more more risk you have. I mean, you get the guy with the brand new twelve hundred GS with a ton of goodies on it and two, three cameras and a bunch of stuff. And it's all he's got in the world. And he's absolutely paranoid about leaving it and all the time. And I think he misses out on a lot of the trip and the, the adventures and experiences and things that he might have had if he had been a little less loaded up and um, maybe a little less stuff that he didn't have to worry about. Yeah. And we had an experience in Tunisia, which was our first country in Africa. And we were standing on a street corner kind of thinking about, well, where is it we're going to go next? And uh, a guy came up to us and started speaking to us in pretty good English. Turned out he was an English teacher. And he said, you know, come and stay, come and stay with our place and we'll have dinner and you can meet my wife and the children and all that. And, you know, we're in Africa and it's kind of, oh, I don't know. We're a little paranoid and thought about it for a bit. But, you know, talking to him, we got comfortable and Okay, so we went over to his place, and it was tremendous. You know, very nice people. We got to meet the wife and the kids and sat down uh, on the floor to eat dinner with them and the whole thing. It was an amazing experience. But if we'd been a little bit more paranoid and fearful of losing our stuff or our life or whatever, um, we wouldn't have had that experience. And I'll always remember that as being truly amazing. Grant, I had um, something a little bit similar to that happen to me as well. And, you know, the next morning, the husband and wife went off to work and they handed me the keys and they said, make yourself at home. We'll see you later. Yeah, absolutely. They left the whole home to me uh, with all their belongings. And it, you know, uh, mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. Yeah. It's a whole different level. Graham, are you oh, still awake? Oh, I just wonder yeah, where you no, went. Because, what, what time is it in Bulgaria right now? Uh, it's gone midnight, uh, which means I'm, I'm on the ninth now, the same as uh, Shirley. And <laughs> oh, stop bragging. <laughs> you better have a glass of whiskey, Graham. That's run out, actually, Sam, but don't. <laughs> well, I was going to say, he's been there already. <laughs> but I did have something to say. <laughs> Go for but it. Now. What are we talking about? <laughs> no, um, when you were saying about has travel changed you and and that's why I was quiet because I was wondering about am I going to say this or not and I decided I was my parents were a bit racist in probably what was an acceptable way because they grew up in East London after the war and they watched this huge influx of immigrants come in and they watched the face of East London change and we by the time I was born they'd moved out of East London but they kept that that resentment with them. And I was brought up with that. And whatever your parents' views are, are your views and they're they're acceptable. And when I started traveling, I took their views with me and soon found that they were bloody wrong. And right up, and you said, does it change you? Yes, it changed you. And it continues to change me because this time last year, I was in Belize and I'd only gone there because once again, a trip had gone wrong, plans had gone wrong. I wanted to go to Panama, didn't, decided I was going to cut the trip short and I'd rather do Guatemala and Belize better than trying to whiz all the way down there and back. 
And Belize is a very multicultural country, and it is a big party country as well. And the very first day I got there, I was presented with a, oh, and the other thing is it's a holiday within a holiday because everyone speaks English. So my appalling Spanish was put back on the shelf, and I could communicate with people again. And so there was a lot of Rasta dudes and people, and they were super friendly. Hey, brother, what's going on? And I found myself a bit intimidated. And after about a week of this, I had to have a bit of a talk with myself because I thought, why, you know, I can go to Muslim countries, no problem, enjoy communicating and integrating. It's, but why am I so intimidated by this sort of, this Rasta sort of uh, Afro-Caribbean culture? And eventually I thought, right, I need to go out on my own and go and make some friends. And there's this bar I'd seen. I was trying to find some accommodation. I'd ridden past this bar about three times. And all these drunken people saying, come inside, come inside. It's like, no, look, I really need to find a place to stay first. So um, I've got a doctor friend. And my doctor always says to me, listen to your body. Because your body knows what it needs. It knows, it knows if it needs broccoli or it knows if it needs certain things. It's Alcohol. telling you what it needs. Yeah, and at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, my body was telling me precisely that, Jim. So <laughs> I went to this bar, and there were these, um, and it was this little, it was like a shrine to Bob Marley. And I parked my bike outside, and everyone was watching me, and I said, is this a good place to come for a drink? I said, yeah, man, come inside. And I went inside, and I bought my first beer, and there was a guy who worked for Five Bananas, and uh, he, was, he started talking to me. And after, that was the only beer I bought, my first beer. After that, beers and drinks were bought for me, and, every, and people were singing songs and getting me to sing songs. And it was so easy to integrate because I made the effort to leave my prejudices behind me. And so I continue to learn. I continue to leave that behind. And it was really strange that I was so intimidated by the dreadlock raster. And now, having just let myself... Go make myself, force myself to go to this bar and, and get to know them. And, of course, they were lovely people because, as, as uh, Brian just said, the majority of people are. Well said, Graham. Perfect example. Yep, exactly. Well, we should um, probably get on to our picks as we're winding up our, our time here. So the picks is sort of like show and tell almost for growing ups. <laughs> and uh, and I've, asked, I've asked each one of you to, to find a pick. We don't care what it is. It's, it's great if it's bike or travel related, but I'm sort of curious what we're going to come up with. Um, who wants to go first? Okay, that's what I thought. Graham, <laughs> why, don't, why don't you go first? Oh, do I have to? Because I wasn't exactly sure what you meant by picks. <laughs> you didn't do your... On your side, Graham. We weren't sure either. Are you serious? You guys didn't do your homework. Well, yes and no. I've got lots of things to talk about, but I'm going to listen to what someone else talks about first and find something that's relevant. <laughs> okay, well, well, let, let's go to Sam. I'll throw because, mine out. Because <laughs> uh, I know Sam has done his homework. It well, just yeah, you remember the conversation then. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, my pick is a travel book, but it's not motorcycling. It's it is travel though. Now I met the author and his partner at Overland Expo West in Flagstaff last year. The author's name is Pablo Reyes, and his partner is called Anna. And the book is called Around the World in Ten Years. Now, one of the things I liked straight away was the dedication, and the dedication is to those who never give up. 
And as you read this book, you realize how highly appropriate that is and how well it fits in with some aspects of travel because things don't always work out as they should be, do they? Um, and yeah, it's, it's what you do with those disaster situations that really matter. Anyway, Pablo is an Argentinian, but he lived in Spain and Anna is Spanish. And they set off in um, 2000 in a four by four van, which they called the Cockroach. Um, and they're still on the road now. And the book covers um, Spain through Europe, through the Middle East and to Egypt. And it leaves you really tantalizing on the boat to Sudan. So they then head down through Africa and up through South and Central America. Oh, why do I like this book? I like it because it it rolls really nicely um, with um, absolutely terrific descriptions. And anybody who's traveled is going to sit and thoroughly enjoy the excellent humor um, and the real talent this guy has for writing how it is. You know, those hair on the neck raising moments and the bizarre alike. But anybody who hasn't traveled is going to learn, wow, is that really what it's like out there? And and I think that they will love it from that point of view. Um, I have to say that I don't like the cover. I think it's decidedly uninspirational, but perhaps that's me. This is one of those books that you don't judge by the cover. You judge by the contents. It's fab. Do you follow him on Facebook as well? Um, do you know, I don't even know if he's on Facebook. Mm. His name is Pablo. Um, and on the front of the book, it's spelt um, P-A-B-L-O, and his surname is R-E-Y. But I think if you look for him online, then you'll find that his surname is spelt um, R-E-Y-E-S. And the book is Around the World in 10 Years. It's lovely. Super read. Oh, good pick. How about you, Grant? Um, I've got something that's going to be more discussion, I think. Nikon joins the action camera world with a 360-degree 4K footage camera. This is a, a game changer, I think. It's going to be completely new and different. The fact that a, a major camera manufacturer has suddenly come out with an action camera, to me, kind of legitimizes action cameras generally because GoPro has done its thing and Garmin and so forth. But these aren't camera guys. Uh, so the, the quality of the picture, I think, is going to be a lot better, which was very important to me, at least. GoPros often, you know, quality could be better, could be sharper and all kinds of things. Um, so it's going to be very interesting. This camera is waterproof to 30 meters, shock resistant, dustproof, and low temperatures is not a problem. It should be released in March. And I think it's going to change a lot of people's thinking. Um, and one of the, the questions I want to throw out, since we have a number of authors here, is video going to replace pictures and books as the medium for documenting travels. With the rise of the ebook, will it be normal to include video in a book? Hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm I think it probably will. <laughs> well, I've got some I don't know what experience to do about that. that. <laughs> I've got some practical experience of that. Um, my first book into Africa um, is out in ebook format, both with um, Amazon as a Kindle and on iTunes. And on iTunes, there is some video. Um, and it hasn't made a jot of difference to the sales. Um, is, is video going to replace books? Um, that's been talked about for quite a while, and I've been watching what's happening quite carefully. And um, I found out a really interesting statistic today. Christmas sales this year in the UK, 20% of presents that were given were books, but only 10% of those were electronic books. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think electronic books are something that you give because it's something you download 
but it's not something you hand somebody. We find the same thing with our DVDs. At Christmas, our sales skyrocket because that's something you can put under the tree kind of thing. Whereas a download, oh, yeah. yeah, it's not going to fly. You get a voucher. Yeah, yeah it's not the same. Um, in Australia, the book sales have started to go back up again after um, a decline because of the introduction of the ebook. Um, both of our books are available as ebooks, and we've never even thought about putting video in them. But we're kind of not video people. People always say to us, "Oh, don't you shoot video? Aren't you going to make a DVD?" And I don't want to spend my entire trip setting up cameras and doing cutaways and putting the camera on a tripod and riding past it and coming back and hoping no one's stolen it and picking the camera up. And it, <laughs> oh, yes. And you're, just, you, you're going to run your holiday through a viewfinder and that's not the way we want to do it. I totally agree, Shirley. I feel exactly the same way about it and I get the same questions. Um, I'm out traveling because I want to be traveling. Um, I'm not intending to, to write a book and that's not the reason for the trip and I'm not intending to make a film. And there are some people out there who are traveling who just do it really, really well, like Lisa and um, Jason and Ed March and so on. And um, there are some really talented people doing it. Um, but to get to that stage, they've had to work really hard and it does take over their trips. Yeah, but yeah. I think yeah, you got to look at the the age uh, group that you're talking about as well, because as you as you go down to the younger age groups, they're doing different things. You know, even mm -hmm. even my kids, the the my older kids, which are you know my oldest one's 25, I think, um, and um, she <laughs> she is is different when it comes to social media and and online stuff than my youngest one that's 19. So and and the youngest one that's 19, I mean, he's he's starting to become you know a, a full actor adult now. And I think he's even drifting away from what the younger generations are doing now. So, I mean, it, it all changes so fast. I think it was you, Shirley, who mentioned to me that um, that you said uh, they say Facebook now is for the oldies. Uh, yeah. 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 It's true, but there's still a lot of young ones on there. Um, but as the young ones become older, do they go back to Facebook? Hmm. Good mm. question. But uh, I want anyways, to, Grant, I want to ask you about this camera. 360 yeah. degrees. Is this 360 degree filming? Yes. How do it's you watch that? It's filming in 360 degrees at all times. It's, it's two cameras in one, one camera point, pointing one way with the other camera pointing the other way. And with 4K resolution, that means that you can literally load the whole thing into your editor and pick which part of that 360 degree footage you want to show on a screen. Oh, wow, man. that's phenomenal. That wow. would make even wow. me look good as if I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. You put this on the top of your helmet and you go riding and you've got everything that's happening behind you, beside you and in front of you. And when you edit, you pick what you want. Wow. wow. So ideally you've got every view. Yeah. Mm. At all times. They, it's absolutely have they, put a price, have they put a price tag on it, Grant? Uh, yeah. it's uh, They're talking about $400. Wow, that's it. Wow. Is that all? Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know for sure if that's the right price, but. Is that Canadian, not, Grant? Or? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, because I think it's going to be a U.S. dollar if it's a dollar price for sure. It's going to be released a, around March. But a GoPro is is in Canada. It's uh, like if you get the silver, I think it's like five forty or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's that's a good price. I mean, for yeah, the well, for the Nikon. Let's let's hope. Let's hope that the price is right. This was just a little. I hear that it's going to be this kind of thing. Hmm. So nothing is official yet. But um, they're also saying so the other thing that's really interesting is that it's actually just a little bit larger than GoPro Session Hero 4, which is the tiny GoPro. Yeah. So it's smaller than a standard GoPro. What is it, round? 
No, it's, um, think of it as a square box with bulging front and back. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it's effectively a fat ball or squashed ball, I guess. Um, very, very interesting. And like I say, I think it's going to be a game changer in a lot of things that are, that are going on. People are going to find they can find, there's a lot of uses for it. I mean, just about anybody can use it. It's waterproof to 100 feet, 30 meters. Wow. Yeah, yeah, diver in me says yes. <laughs> well, and especially when you say Nikon, I mean, like like yes. you pointed out, I mean, now we're talking exactly. a camera company. Yep, this is this is now serious stuff. And so, who's going to be next? Canon's going to certainly look at this and go, "Oh, we better do something quick." So it's going to explode. Are you a Nikon fan? No, I'm a Canon man. Oh, I see. What ah, do you shoot with? <laughs> <laughs> what was that comment? <laughs> No, just like me too. I can't touch Nikon's. I come out in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> I love my Canons. Didn't we talk about bias, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just think it's highly appropriate that you go shooting with a Canon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> that was really bad. That's bad. <laughs> good pick, okay. Grant. That, that, was, that was really good. So there's so, some thoughts. So, Graham, what have you been hiding? Okay, well, if you could see what I'm wearing right now. Uh, the thing is, uh, this isn't so much a plug because I might have misunderstood it a bit. This is more a top tip, but it's still kind of relevant. Well, I hang think. on, hang on a second. No, you 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 do have a plug. We're going to do that at the end. So this this is this is your pick. Oh, it's a pick. Okay, you're, you're not going to try and sell pick. us one of your books, are you? Is that what you're going to do? No, everybody else is doing that. It's too much competition. <laughs> no, listen. Okay, this is my pick. <laughs> Um, I'm really lucky. This little village that I live in, in Bulgaria, the reason I'm here and the reason the majority of the expats are here is because of, of a place called Motor Camp, which is a little sort of bed and breakfast uh, place for a little haven for bikers on, on who, uh, well, all bikers really, but because of we a place where we are right on the edge of Asia, next door to Turkey and at the bottom of Europe. People come here in the middle of their trip, and when they come here, and this relates to what we were saying earlier, they tend to stay longer than they intended to, and a lot of them tend to buy houses and then live here, and that's what's happened to me. And so the one thing that the expats here have in common is we're all motorcyclists who have done quite a bit of traveling between us. Now, I was around my neighbours the other day, who's done the round-the-world trip and everything, and he showed me this little box that he has that he took on him with his trip. And I pretty much thought that I had my packing down, because every time I get back from a trip, I write down everything that I take out my panniers, and I put a cross next to it if I never used it, and so I know what to pack next time. And over the years, my packing has got pretty systematic, and it's pretty good. He had this box of magic tricks, and what a brilliant thing to take. He, of, of the things that he pulled out, you know the, the car aerials, which are kind of telescopic? He had a car aerial, and it's got a fork welded to the end of it. So he can extend this aerial with a fork. And if he's sitting at a table or a communal table in a restaurant, he can extend his fork and go and stab somebody else's sausage. So in the right... Or, or fish cake for less. <laughs> less uh, but anyway, so he can... Uh, so it's a great conversation start. It's a joke. It's a funny thing to do. And he had, uh, he's got a little magic trick where these coins, he puts them on top of each other and then he puts a little thing over the top of them and they disappear. And a little box of magic tricks. I mean, I thought, what a great icebreaker. What a wonderful thing to take on the road to, uh, 
to get company, to entertain, to break the ice. And uh, so as a pick or a top tip or whatever you want to call it, I thought that was a wonderful thing that I'd never considered was a couple of little joke items. Oh, and the other thing he had were, and you can buy them off eBay, were lottery tickets, scratch tickets, like, uh, you know, what they call them, those scratch tickets. And But they're all winners. So when you scratch them off, you've won. <laughs> But they're totally fake. But uh, I just thought they were really good good little icebreakers and good things to take and, and give to people when you're on the road. Well, that's a good pick. Yeah. That That's unusual. Sounds I didn't like expect fun. to hear that. Well, Shirley. Now, Shirley, are you going to have one pick for both of you? Because I, I would rather have you each have one. No, we'll have one. We'll have we'll one. But before we go on, uh, when you get to that Bulgaria moto camp, yes. we're really pissed off because we travelled 300 kilometres out of our way to go there and they were shut. They'd gone home to... Oh, well, you didn't do your research very well, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I'd just like to say, um, Graham, that one of us had been emailing moto camp and did say to the um, other person in our riding party that perhaps we shouldn't go because they hadn't responded to their emails <laughs> and uh, when we finally got to the Black Sea uh, having met the dog at the moto camp and the little girl across the road who, told, who came down the hill to tell us they'd gone to England, we did get an email from them they were in England Now was I'm this, not going to say this... who, it, who it was who thought uh, we look, shouldn't we'll go. We'll say the domestic for later on <laughs> sure. yeah, Was this last... Was this last year? When Correct. You were there? Correct. Uh, yeah, they were. Yeah, they were in England. It was closed. Sorry about that. No, they were in England. It was closed. Uh, we, we do have. But, but to be honest, there's always someone in the village, and there's always someone who put you up. And I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking about anybody who's listening. If they do ever come to Bulgaria and it's off season or whatever, as I've already said, the the village is full of ex-travellers. And uh, as Brian said, you know, you, you will, if you see someone with a map, you'll ask them if they're stuck. Same thing happens here. If a bike turns up in the village, if motor camp for whatever reason is closed and it's pretty much open 24-7, you just picked up a time, there is always someone in the village who, who motor camp will get in touch with. So you'll never be left out in the cold. Uh, if only we'd known you lived down the street, we would have arrived with a bottle of whiskey tucked under our arm and we would have been welcomed on. <laughs> yeah, but surely yeah, bring the whiskey. because they're all travellers. They'll have all gone travelling. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. We'll, we'll get to our pick. Now, we picked up a thing called the Picture Talk Book, sure? It's, um, it has been a godsend when we've been in countries where not only can't we speak the language, we can't read the language either, like when we're in Russia and the stands. And I don't know if you guys have seen Picture Talk, but it's just a little book. It fits perfectly into a motorcycle jacket pocket and it has a little um, sketch for every possible thing you will need. Um, a room with two beds, a room with one bed, a shower, an aeroplane, a train, um, first class, second class, um, a little sketch if you'd like to conjure this up of when you can't go to the toilet, a little sketch of when you go to the toilet too much, um, when you vomit in. <laughs> what, what, what was that? How'd you draw that? <laughs> a little stick man sitting on a toilet. Wow. <laughs> Trust me, it's, it's, it, it gets the point across of what medication you need. Or do you want a condom there? I don't know how they. You can you can imagine that. But it's it's the most brilliant book, and um, it's a real icebreaker, like the telescopic fork. Um, when we produced this at places, we went to one restaurant. I pointed to the chicken and then packed, pat, patted myself on the backside, and we got two pieces of chicken Maryland baked to perfection with vegetables for our lunch. It was perfect. 
So picture talk. Every traveller have one. Has anyone else used picture talk before? Yeah, well, we have pointed books, uh, but my pointed books are really old. It's great if I want to beat a max cassette tape, but it's not so good if I want to charge it for an iPod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I've got one here called from Quick Point called International Travel Translator. Point to pictures and be understood anywhere. Very good. Same same idea. I'm sure it's it's probably almost exactly the same thing. But great stuff. So people really love it when you pull it out and you and you're pointing to pictures. It's sure helpful. It makes yeah. life a lot easier. Oh. Yep, we um, we found it. I felt. All these years I've been getting it wrong then. I walk into a restaurant, do a chicken impersonation, and hope that I get a chicken dinner. <laughs> <laughs> or the guy in the padded wagon comes and gets you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it comes close to that a few times, yeah. like I guess, earlier. <laughs> well, my pick, if, if I'm allowed, is um, mm. a, it's not a, a one thing in particular. It's a GPS app is what it is for your smartphone. And here's the deal. I mean, I've, I've sort of talked about this you know, for quite a while now, is that I, I have this expensive GPS, this, this uh, Garmin, I forget, it's 62, 72S, something like that. Anyway, it, it's a relatively expensive uh, unit. I bought it when it was the, the latest, greatest thing. And every time I go to pan on it, it is so slow. It's it's like trying to view the world through a straw, but very, very slowly. So by the time I pan from one spot to another, I've forgotten where I've got to on this map. And if you zoom out, you got to wait for it to ride. It drives me nuts. But a cell phone, you can get an old cell phone, like I can use a you know an, an old iPhone 3GS. Put the app on. You download the maps um, when you have Wi-Fi. They're stored on the phone. And this is the thing that, that a lot of people get confused with, is they think that if they're out of cell range, that their phone isn't going to work for GPS. Now, most phones that have a GPS built in will still work perfectly without the cell service. So you turn your phone on. It has a far more powerful um, a processor in it, so you can zoom and pan very easily. It makes following on a map, if you're into GPS, so, so much easier. So I would encourage um, anyone who's interested in that to go out and, and look at whatever phone you have, check the app store, and find um, a, a top, uh, some sort of topo map or some sort of map service. The key is it has to be able to download and store maps in the background. And of course, that comes with your planning, what we're talking about. You've got to figure out what areas you're going to and download those maps in the background. There's a huge hub, a thread on the hub, just about exactly that, GPS or cell phone, and or tablets even. And there's a lot of discussion about what works, what software is good, what doesn't work, and what people are finding is, is working and not working for them. So I'd encourage people to have a look at that. There's mm, a ton of information there. That's great. Yeah, because to me, I don't see the point of of paying this all this money for this proprietary GPS. The only advantage I can see is, um, well, I'm sorry, I forgot the other thing to mention was tracking. Not all these apps have tracking on it, so you can leave the GPS on and follow your breadcrumb trail back. But the the proprietary GPS um, tends to be very slow, as I said. It's a self-contained unit, and it just gets old. You know, for all this money you put on it, whereas the phone, you're always upgrading your phone, so you just sort of build it into the cost that you're already paying for your phone. I've just downloaded one to my um, iPhone for um, for Europe, and I haven't used it on the road yet, but um, I've used it sitting in the car just to see how it works. And um, I'm actually really impressed with how quick it is. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, I remain um, to be convinced, but actually I'm well on the way to it. There, um, and I will definitely be going to have a look at the Horizons um, site to see what people say because um, I'm wanting to be over in the States um, a couple of times this this year and um, I'm going to need to have um, an app for, for my phone for the States. So I will hunt it out. Top tip, Jim. Yeah, there's a bunch of things like um, if you're not into touch screens, that can create a problem. And everybody, I'm sure, will jump on the waterproof thing. The phone's not waterproof, but you can put it. There's so many waterproof cases out there that you can put it in. I don't know. To me, I'm still using my GPS. It's still mounted uh, on my bike and and uh, use it in my vehicle. But um, I'm leaning more and more towards, uh, well, I, I don't think I'll replace it. Put it that way. When it comes up time to, when this one finally quits on me, um, again, it already quit on me once and I had it repaired. But when it quits on me this time, I think I'm just going to pack it in okay well wrapping things up i'm gonna ask you what you have to plug graham what do you have to plug today uh a couple of things actually um, i'm gonna start with an apology uh because the last time i was on your show i promoted my box set and the response was fantastic and a lot of people in north america ordered them a lot of them for christmas and after that show, um, the Paris bombings happened. And because of that, and I know all this because I worked out because I had to make a lot of calls to find out why the hell people hadn't got what they'd ordered. Uh, customs in North America really, uh, there was a huge backlog because they were being really careful about everything that was going through and checking things really. Thing. So what normally took a week to be delivered was taking four weeks. So a lot of people who ordered my box set didn't get them in time for Christmas. There are still two people I know who haven't received them yet. And so I just want to apologize for everybody ordering. I'm really sorry that it took so long to get there. And um, and if it messed up your Christmas plans and your Christmas presents, I really apologize for that. But thanks for ordering them. And, and I hope when you do get them, I hope when you did get them, it was worth it. That was the apology. This is the plug. And this is where I become a total hypocrite. Because <laughs> all I talk about is low budget travel and taking your time and everything we've talked about on this show. Um, now, New Year comes and you assess your life and what you want to do with the new year and the direction you want to take. And a few times over the course of, I know what you call it, a career or the hell it is I do, I've been asked if I want to go on a on a tour, a proper, you know, uh, guided by tour thing. Anyway, the right offer came at the right time, and I've hooked up with a tour company uh, called Let's Ride Bikes. And so September of this year, there's this trip which starts in England and ends in, in uh, starts and ends in the UK and goes down to southern Europe, takes in Italy, the Alps, and uh, Venice and Nice and uh, a Harley rally that's going on somewhere, some super rally or something. And uh, I've said I'm going to be a part of it. Uh, so it's completely different and, and my defense is and the thing is if you travel on your own you can pretty much justify anything you do and I justify this by uh, the definition of adventure is is doing something you haven't done before and this is quite a luxurious trip you stay in four and five star hotels and it's all organized for you don't really have to think that much about accommodation and fuel stops and language and all the other things that are, are go through your helmet when you're on the road so so my plug is this uh like 10 day trip through europe and and it's really funny because the, the guy who's organizing it this guy called cold waters who's done quite a few before and he's, he's, he's so it's it's not a sort of seat your pants trip it's it's well organized and it's well rehearsed and uh, 
And uh, he said to me, well, what can I say uh, about, you know, you join us? And I said, well, it doesn't really matter what you say. Just be honest. And there's this world-famous travel author, Graham Field, is joining us. <laughs> so, oh, for fuck's sake. So anyway, um, come ride bikes. What's it called? Let's ride bikes with me, world-famous travel author, and watch me, <laughs> watch me uncomfortable in four-star hotels. That's my plug. You, so you've sold out. <laughs> Yeah, totally, Jim. I'm totally sold out. I'm going to be riding a GS 1200. <laughs> I'm going to be wearing high-visibility clothing. Fully decked out. <laughs> Graham, <laughs> Graham, I admire you because you've just entered into that in, t- in true traveller spirit, and that is opportunity. Let's have a go see what happens like. <laughs> yep. Yeah, try yeah, it out. What's going to happen? You've got to be willing to try out just about anything. <laughs> so this is really cool, Graham. I mean, you know, it's neat. So are you a guide for this? Are you officially a guide or are you just there sort of as a, a talisman? No, I'm just a celebrity. Maker. So, <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't do anything. So you just I'm there, just, uh, you drink, you I regale them with stories. I up on the KLR 650. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how does someone f- sign up for this? Now, this is, this is neat because this is serious. Graham's going to be on a trip and you get to spend time with him, find out what he's yeah. really like. How do they yeah, find it? If you haven't already oh, figured it out. So, so listen, um, what I did think was it isn't unfeasible for North Americans to consider this because I know you don't have a lot of vacation. So people like Nathan Millwood have got it all sewn up where you can ship your bike over and ship it back. I don't quite know what he does, but that's what that was his whole thing at, at, at Motorcycle Life this year. So it's not unfeasible to ship your own bike to Europe have a, I think the actual tour is 10 days, and and do that and stay in lovely hotels. You don't have to worry about anything. It's all sorted out for you. And and see some, some not only some, some world-class sights and some beautiful scenery, but there's a Harley Rally included as well, if that's your thing. And uh, I, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. The fact is, because they're not huge riding days, I mean, we're not going to be sitting around the campfire swapping stories because aren't going to, I don't reckon they'll let you light a campfire in a five-star hotel. But at least there'll be evenings where you can sit around and, and just, I think, because it's not going to be, like, it, it touches on all the things we've talked about in the show, you know? It's not going to be hardcore riding and just exhausted and another thing the next day. There's days off. There's sightseeing days. And... Uh, I, you know, I've never done anything like this, so it's a bit adventurous in a sort of comfort way for me, as well as being a complete sellout. <laughs> I like the way when you said it, you immediately gave your defense. <laughs> well, wouldn't you? He's being very defensive, all right. <laughs> if you were put, picked up, Jim, if you were picked up tomorrow by Fox News, what would you be your defense? <laughs> you know, you avoided the question. What I asked you was, how does someone find out about this? Uh, let's ride bikes. Uh, I'll, I'll, can I send you a link so it can be on your website or something? You can't remember the link, right? No, because I haven't really looked at it that. Uh, you know, I, I don't do research. <laughs> well, it's uh, obviously it's called Let's Ride Bikes. We'll put the link in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to look at this, yeah, which it's pretty, I think it's called Let's Ride Bikes. It's definitely called Let's Ride Bikes. Is the bike shipping? Bike, yeah. Is is that working through them? The shipping the bikes through? No, Nathan? no. This is just this is just something I thought because really oh. it starts and ends in the UK, but it's not unfeasible for North Americans to have their bikes flown over so that they can then. In, in their allotted two-week vacation, do a trip, 
come back to the UK and have it flown back again. There's there's companies like Motor Freight, there's people like Nathan Millwood who know how all this stuff works, and it is definitely feasible that they could do that. Yeah, that's not a problem. There's lots of companies that can ship across. Uh, I just did a quick search, letsridebikes.com. There's also a oh, .ca. That's not the one you want. It's letsridebikes.com. Endorsed Thanks, by and associated with Graham Field, world-famous motorcycle oh, adventure writer-traveler. There uh, you go. Uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one. Letsridebikes.com. Thank you. Thanks, Grant, for being the one that actually went to the, the browser that we're all sitting in front of. <laughs> so, four plugs. Sam. Oh, right. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to plug something that's entirely selfish, but I'm going to mention seven um, people while I'm doing it. Um, I'm going to plug the Motorcycle News London Motorcycle Show, which is happening the 12th, 13th and 14th of February. So um, anybody on this side of the water, um, hopefully, is going to now know about it. Um, but this is um, something that's happening that's actually quite unusual in the world of uh, adventure motorcycling. The UK shows um, up until very recently haven't given an awful lot of attention to adventure motorcycling, which to me is completely nuts because it's the fastest growing sector of motorcycling, I think, in the world, but certainly in the UK and has been for a number of years now. So for me, it's completely nuts that um, the big shows aren't. Um, taking more on board. Um, well, Motorcycle News is this time. And um, it's been organized by our friend Nathan Millwood, um, author, um, traveler, um, nut, and however else you want to um, describe him. So, um, first of all, thanks very much, Nathan, for um, setting this up with the London Motorcycle Show. I think that's phenomenal. Um, now, who's going to be there? Well, there's going to be a world-famous um, author and traveller called Graham Field. Um, I've heard of him. <laughs> there's going to be Austin Vince, um, Sean Dillon, Gareth Jones, Jacques Lucasen, and Spencer Conway, um, and hopefully Ian Coates. Um, now, I don't know whether um, anybody's been picking up on this, but um, Ian has uh, spent the last few days in hospital in a coma. Um, Ian spent um, a number of years riding, 14 years I think it was, riding around the world on an Africa Twin. Um, but anyway, um, a few days back he fell from a height when he was um, working at the top of a stepladder and on a, um, a ramp of some sort. And um, yeah, he's uh, in a pretty bad state, so we, we don't know exactly what's happening. Um, I have heard that he is um, a little bit better, so um, I'd like this, to take this chance on behalf of everybody who's heard about him and listening in to wish him well and speedy recovery. Absolutely. Um, now, mm -hmm. all they, um, the people that I mentioned, um, their bikes are going on show. So there's going to be the Honda C90 from Sean Dillon. There's going to be Gareth Jones's Harley Davidson, Austin Vince's DR350, Graham's KLR, and um, Jacques Lucasen and, and Spencer Conway. And um, everybody's going to have their bikes there. And of course, Libby's going to be there too. Um, and this will be her first time at an indoor bike show. She's been plenty of, of outdoor ones, but um, nothing so posh as being on display indoors. That's your so what bike. was happening? Um, well, the bikes are going to be on display for everybody to pot around and um, and have a look at. Um, they've all well travelled, so nothing's pristine on these bikes. Um, and then uh, every day, um, all of us are going to be um, at different stages during the day, up on stage with Nathan and um, 
he, I'm told, has picked out questions that none of us have been asked before. So he's going to be putting us on the spot with these interviews. So I think it's going to be quite a buzzy event. And um, yeah, I hope plenty of people can make it. It, um, it should be fun. It sounds, sounds like it. Sam, you must be really sweating that question thing. Yeah. <laughs> what colour underwear are you wearing? <laughs> oh, what underwear? <laughs> I, I travel yeah, light, right. you know that. <laughs> You've already revealed that answer. <laughs> Go on, we're going to get back to our sharing a hotel room now, aren't we? <laughs> you know, I thought of that and I thought I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> I wish I'd have had that self-confidence. <laughs> not say it. Anyway, moving rapidly on. <laughs> well, we'll just let that simmer for a second. How about the Rixes? What do you have to plug? Our plug is um, the same weekend as the Motorcycle Expo in England, and it's the Adventure Travel Film Festival for those people listening down under. And we know there's a lot, Jim, because we met a heap of people at the Sydney Motorcycle Show who were big fans of Adventure Rider Radio and listen to it all the time so it's at bright and it's the films that austin vince and lois price show at the adventure travel film festival in the uk but with australian talking guests and um we'll be there talking about our trip across russia with our bike and um a fellow called ron fellows will be there with his fn which um he rode from Nepal to Belgium. Yes, to its um, origins back in Belgium, and it'll have its uh, original wicker sidecar on it. Um, he hand builds his own spark plugs to keep this thing going, and Ron is a fantastic fellow and has a great book called... Um, no Room for Watermelons. No Room for Watermelons, which is a great, uh, great little book. Um, so we'll be doing that uh, over that period for February 12th to the 14th in Bright. Which for people in um, the east coast of Australia, there's beautiful riding country to get to Bright from any direction. So uh, it's a great country town. And the films are good too. I don't know if any of you went to the um, to Austin's Film Festival when it was on in the UK because we get the films yeah. now that you saw in, in August. I missed it this do, year. Do Austin but, um, and Lois actually... The previous... Sorry. No, go ahead, Sam. Um, I've, I missed it this year because I was over in the States, but um, I've been to the, the previous three years of it and um, the selection of films, absolutely awesome and some that I'd never heard of and I'm so glad that I um, I went and, and, and I watched these. Um, yeah, just just quite incredible. And Austin and Lois do pick out some, some spectacular speakers. So um, if anybody can get to, to Bright for this, then blooming well, don't miss it. This one of the films was made in 1935 about three... Um, four horsepower, two-stroke motorcycles going from Cape Town to Cairo. That's not a bad effort. So that should be a good film. It'd be neat so to get, Shirley, be able to get these. Do, uh, Go ahead. I was just going to say, Shirley, do, do Austin and Lois attend it or is it just in their name? Uh, they came out a couple of years ago, but, no, they don't come every year and um, it is in their name. It's, it's organised in Australia by Rupert Shaw, who's a buddy of theirs from England who now lives here. Oh, okay. Because I see it come up and I see advertisements for it, but I didn't know if they flew out every year. So, okay, that makes sense now. How big so of an event is it, Shirley? <laughs> yeah, I'm helping Rupert a bit, but that's okay. Shirley, how big of a, an event is it? Um, 
they have uh, locations, four locations around the town for viewing the films, including one of them, which is a big blow-up screen down on the riverbank where they um, have an open-air cinema um, on the Friday and Saturday nights. And last year I think there was close to 500 people came Mm. along. Nice. And uh, at the registration area this year, there's going to be Christophe Barrier-Vajour, who um, has competed in the Dakar, and he now has a Unimog, so he's bringing his Unimog for everyone to have a look at. And there'll be four-wheel drives for people to have a look at, as well as um, adventure motorcycles. And uh, there's a brewery right ne- a brewery pub right next door to the registration area, so there's plenty of opportunities to get to sit down and talk to the um, to the presenters. And you'd, in lo- you'd love that, Graham. It's great. It's really good beer. <laughs> Sounding good. How much is it to fly there? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, wait! I'm at a show that weekend. <laughs> I was just going to say, hang on a minute, Graham. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sam. <laughs> These world famous riders, I tell you. Well, Grant, how about your pick? Well, I've got more than one or two things to talk about. Actually, 21. We have 21 HU events in 14 countries in 2016, which is a record. Fantastic. We're very happy about that. And the big news is Hub UK is back. June 16 to 17. Mark it on your calendars. 16 to 19, actually. Sorry, not 16, 17. 16, 19. And we had a lot of people really helped out sending in suggestions and looking for a new venue. And we finally found a new place. It's absolutely fantastic. We are very excited about it. Baskerville Hall. It's going to be amazing. The venue is um, some of the things about it. One of the big things about it that we're really excited about is fantastic rider training. There's two off-road courses plus lots of bush for rideouts right on the property. So we're going to have some very advanced rider training courses going on. We've got some really exciting stuff set up to go and lots of new things. So we're hoping that everybody will be able to make it. We're very excited about it. June 16 to 19th. June 16 to 19. Jim, you got to get over there. You yeah, love it. That'd be, that'd be good. I don't know if that's going to happen. Mark, we'll be there too. June, June uh, 2017 because uh, we'll be there, Grant, because we're going to do Morocco and a few places like that. But we can make sure we're up to the HU in England at, uh, in 2017. 2017? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. We'll work that out. Um, okay. The other events, we've got uh, three in Canada. There's three in the USA. Australia, we've got three as well, and including a fantastic new venue in Jindabyne, New South Wales, which Brian and Shirley are helping to organize. And for those yeah. of you who have heard of the Snowy Mountains, that's where it is. Fantastic place. It's, we're really excited about that one, too. It's, the venue's great. We've got lots of off-road training facilities, lots of venue, lots of accommodation facilities. It's looking really good. Uh, we'll have registration open for that soon, we hope. And then, of course, we've got UK, Ireland. We've got two in Germany. We've got Montenegro, France, and Bulgaria, where hopefully Graham Field will be there, but certainly Doug Watke oh. will be there. And yep. we've got a, a hum in Spain, in Aragon, in October. For those of you who've ridden the hum before, it's back October in Aragon. Details on that to come soon. And what else have we got? Thailand, Brazil, Argentina. And also, last but not least, South Africa. Last year, we had a great meeting in South Africa where we actually got to take our bikes into a game park, ride around, visit with all the animals, which was really good. And we'll be doing the same thing again this year. 
Are and you going course, to be going to a lot of these? Uh, <laughs> I wish I could go to them all. Um, let's see. We'll be at the UK. We'll be in Virginia, possibly California, maybe Jindabyne, but unlikely. Uh, we'll be at UK and Ireland, of course, for sure. Um, what else? Yeah, that's it. And South Africa. We'll be at South Africa as well. Why do you have a home? Well, we sometimes wonder about that. Last year, we did 32 airplane flights. 32? 32. 32. About 26 too many. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, so let's see, what else do we have? Oh, and Hum Rockies is the new event here in British Columbia. We've run the Hum in Spain for a number of years and Morocco last year. And like I said, it's back in Spain and it's also here in British Columbia. It's almost sold out. We opened up registration, I think it was December 1st, and we've just about filled up. We're almost 150 riders already. Very nice. Yes, we're very pleased with that. So if anybody wants to ride the Rockies, get your registration in quick. And I mean within the next few days because it's going to close next week for sure. Um, some couple other things that were sort of tangentially connected with. The Hellas Rally in Greece run by Melita Stamatis is looking really good. Uh, they've got a regular full-on race type rally, but they've also got an adventure ride that's going along with it. So for anybody who's into just going for a ride with a bunch of guys on some really well set out course, well organized, fully backed up. I mean, there's, there's helicopters, there's ambulances, the whole thing for backup if anybody has any problems. So that's coming up in May 8 to 16, the hellasrally.org. And then we were at India Bike Week in Goa last year in February. That was an amazing experience. Um, thousands of people, great stuff going on, very friendly, very helpful. Um, they have a adventure traveler's tent where we can talk about uh, travels and stories and stuff like that. And we were there, plus uh, we had, uh, what's your name? <laughs> Shona, Shona and Pat from the UK were there. Hubert Kriegel was also there and several others. Um, they're actually looking for speakers this year. So if you're going to be in India... They will give you free entry and comp you all kinds of stuff and be really helpful. Get in touch with me if you would like to be uh, involved in that and being a speaker in Goa. That's 19 to 20 February. That's it? That's, that's all you have? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I was about 23 or 24 things. So, so for all of on. this, where they, where they find out about it is? Horizonsunlimited.com slash events. Slash events. That's the key. Yeah. Go to events. We've got lots more coming. Registration is open for a number of them and lots more to come in the next few weeks. Just check out the page. Does anyone else have anything to add before we wrap this one up? Uh, just going back to what Sam said about the London XL show and the people who are appearing there. Um, what he's got there, it's not just about the, the people there, but it is a complete extreme of bikes showing that there is no right or wrong bike to travel on. Jacques Lucasen, who uses an R1, you've got, uh, you've got C90s, and then you've got bikes like Libby and the KLR, which are probably more recognized bikes. And you've got right from one end of the, of the bike market to the other. And have you had Jack Lucasen on your, on your show, no, Jim? No, not yet. Oh, you should. Oh. 
Yeah, definitely. He is hardcore. <laughs> yes, that's being fans. mild too. <laughs> yeah. He no, defines he's it. Fascinating guy. Yeah. yeah, we've had him speak at several of our events, and he's always does a great show. Well, I guess that uh, that about wraps it up. That was a fun. Um, wow, I just we've been almost two hours now, haven't we? Yeah. Well, thank you very much, That's everyone, good. and um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you back here, all of us, for next month. Sounds good. Okay. We'll be there. Cool. Great. Thanks, Jim. I'm going for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's all go for a ride. Sounds like a plan. I don't know. Where's the after show party, Jim? <laughs> in Bulgaria. <laughs> okay, everybody around my house. We'll be there. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you all next month. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that about wraps up the first ever Adventure Rider Radio Raw, or what we call ARR Raw. I guess you put it together to be our Raw, but anyway... You can find out more information about this show by tripping by our website, adventureriderradio.com forward slash raw. And we're going to be doing the show once a month. You're going to be able to drop in and hear these candid conversations, which uh, it's a lot of fun to do. So we hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we do when we're doing it. If you um, if you like what we're doing here and you'd like to donate to help keep the show going, we would love it. Drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. You can go forward slash raw and hit on the donate button and, uh, and send us something to help keep the show going. Before I wrap up here, I want to say special thanks to Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, Brian Ricks, and Grant Johnson. And of course, special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin. I'm Jim Martin, and you've been listening to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Adventure Rider Radio.